0: Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the Connect form, and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Well, good morning, church family. You got an extra hour of sleep, but my guess is the biggest thought on your mind might be this. Isn't it time for lunch? And so I thank you for your patience. Let's just keep on walking forward together, and just think of it like this: you'll best be that much more hungrier. Well, this this uh, past season, we have been talking about living your legacy and the legacy that God challenges us to live amongst each others as we invest in each other's lives and into the kingdom. In addition to that, as we have been walking through that, you'll remember last week we talked about your identity in Christ, and this week I want to talk to you about your relationships, because all of us are involved in relationships. Some of your relationships you would say, very healthy. Some of those relationships you might say, kind of sketchy. But the reality is the way that we walk in our relationships dramatically impacts how we see life and the way that we experience the life that we're in. So we're going to see what the Bible has to say to us, and I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer as we go to the Father and ask His blessing. Lord, as we are looking at Your Word, help remind us that You have called us to You to be in relationship with You, and that You have called us to be in relationship with others. And Father, we pray that our relationships would be marked, by a demonstration of a heart that is yielded to Jesus. For we pray it in his holy and precious name. Amen. Relationships. We're in 1 Peter, and as we are going forward in this, I want to pull you back to chapter 2 a little bit. We're going to do kind of a survey between 1 Peter 2, 13, all the way through chapter 3, verse 12. We're not going to drill on everything, but I want to just talk to you about what does the Bible say to us About our relationships. Well, let's begin with this. Relationships, what's a basic understanding? And I would suggest to you this that the way that you perceive people and the way that you perceive yourself dramatically impacts your relationships. What does the Bible have to say about the way we see ourselves? Well, I'll remind you of what we talked about last week in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, but you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And he says, you need to remember that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God. And while you walk through this earth, not everyone's going to treat you well, and not everyone's going to understand the value of who you are, but you need to be mindful of how God sees you. That when God sees you, he sees his child. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you have embraced him, into your heart and you have asked him to forgive your sins and he has come into your life to be your Savior and Lord, you have now been brought into the family of God. And when God looks at you, he sees the people he chose. He sees someone that he set apart. He sees someone that he dearly values. And there are times when people are talking to you and maybe they're not being as nice to you as they need to be and maybe they're not being very kind and I'm just going to suggest you play a tape in your head and say something like this. If it weren't for, you just need to understand, if you knew who you were talking to, you would talk better to me. (laughs) Because I belong to Jesus. Matter of fact, just look at somebody in the auditorium and say, I belong to Jesus. How about you? I mean, when you know who somebody is, it impacts things. It's a perception. We need to remember who we are, but not only that, we need to be mindful of how we see other people. How does God tell us to see other people? Well, let's start with this. How does he tell us to see everybody? In Genesis chapter 1:27, it says, "'So God created man in his own image. "'In the image of God, he created him, "'male and female, he created them.'" God created every one of them. So when I look at anybody, I have seen a glimmer of the image of God. So I don't get to look at anybody with disdain. I don't get to look at anybody and say, I'm not sure you're worth my time. I'm not sure you're a person of value. Because they have the image of God within them. They have been imprinted by God. Now, we have to be mindful that people's choices impact the way that we can walk with them, but the Bible says that God so loved the world that what? He sent his only beloved son to do what? So that anyone that would believe in him could have eternal life. He loved the world, just not the easy people to love. And would you agree that there's some people in life that are a little harder to love than others. How do we see them? The Bible says they're created in his image, but how do we see each other? How should we see each other when I'm looking at a fellow believer, someone else that knows Jesus? Well, I need to remember that the Bible tells me that they are now a new creation in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And so as I walk with them, they may have made mistakes and made choices in their past before they knew Jesus. But now I'm to look at them as a new creation and give them the opportunity for growth and for movement and for maturity. Not to be locked into past behaviors, but to move toward healthy behaviors. Also, not only are, are they a new creation, the Bible says that they are now part of the body of Christ as believers. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And so we are saved individually, but we are joined together together corporately, and we need each other. You need to know that this church family is not complete if you're supposed to be part of us and you don't join with us. And if this isn't the right church family for you, we want to help you find the right one. We really do. Because we know that if you'll be where God wants you to be, that you'll be challenged and that you will grow and that you'll experience the best that God has to offer you. And so we understand as we look at fellow believers that they are new creations. We understand that they are part of the body of Christ. And we understand that we need each other, that we complete each other, and that our perception of other people is dramatically impacted by what we believe and what we understand. Years ago, when I was in seminary, Dr. W.A. Criswell was the pastor of First Baptist Church of Dallas. At that time, he had entered into his fifth decade as a pastor in that church, and there was a lot of Dr. Criswell stories that would float around the seminary. Some of them were probably very true, and some some I kind of questioned. But there's one I want to tell you about perception I think is important, and you can decide whether or not you think it is a true story or not. It was about an older woman that made an appointment to come see Dr. Criswell because She needed to talk about a funeral for Rufus. And so she came in, and she was talking to Dr. Criswell, and he opened up his diary and said, well, when do you want to bury Rufus? And she said, well, we like to do it on this day, okay? And what time do you want to bury Rufus? Well, I'd do it on this day. Well, that's fantastic. Well, can you tell me some more about Rufus? Because you can imagine in a church that had over 15,000 members that you can't know everybody intimately. And so she began to talk about him and how much she enjoyed his company. And she said, you know, no matter how bad my day was, I knew that when I got home and I pulled out his water bowl and I pulled out his food bowl, he would just shake that tail and he was so excited to see me. And the story is that Dr. Criswell at that point looked at her and shut the calendar and said, is Rufus a dog? And she said, yes, sir. He said, you think I'm going to bury a dog? And she said, well, sir, I hope you do because the honorarium is $5,000. And it's reported that Chris will reopen his counter and said, you didn't tell me Rufus was a Baptist dog. <laughs> you see, perceptions can really kind of change the way you see things. And if I'm not careful, I can form a perception of somebody that causes me not to see them the way God does. And the Lord calls us to see people the way he sees them. And so he talks to them about their relationships. And then he gets very practical and moves into some relationships that he wanted them to be mindful of. Because remember, this is a letter that is written to a young church. And Peter is at a later place in his life. He's reflecting this back to them. And he says, Look, let's just talk about some of the basic relationships that you have to deal with. And the first one he dealt with was actually the government. In verse 13 of chapter 2, he says, Be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to the governor's as sent by him, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And he begins very quickly and talks to them, this is how you're to respond to your government. You're to accept its role because God has ordained governments. You're to keep its laws and you're to live in a truthful way. And I was thinking about this because, I don't know if you've noticed, but over the last few years there have been some well some attitudes that I've seen emerge about the government and I mean people have always taken pot shots right I mean we would always hear different jokes about people that work for the government or different groups or whatever but there seems to always just be this rise up in some sentiments and I want to give you a couple of thoughts I want you to remember this Peter wrote about a government that was not fair He wrote about a government he get to choose. He wrote about an emperor that was there by birth instead of by vote. He wrote about those that would take advantage of them and could take their lives at a whim. He wrote about those that in a very real way could bring heartache and challenge into their lives. And he said, listen, in verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Accept its roles. It has a role. Keep the law. Be a truth bearer. And just remember this, that even when it's unfair, you need to be mindful of the fact that God has allowed this at this moment. So you respond in such a way that you can demonstrate the character of Jesus Christ. And I know that we have struggles here. I know that there's some dissatisfaction. I know that there's challenges. But can I remind you that each and every one of us gets to vote? That we have the ability to make choices and change, and you have the ability to run for office. You have the ability to be an influence in the community. And it's very easy to sit on the sidelines and say, I have an opinion, Sometimes it's very important for a Christian to step up and say, and I'm willing to run so I can help make a difference. I will tell you, this morning there was not a huge line on our northern border of people pushing to get into Canada. This is still the place that people want to come to for freedom. And we have such a trust and a responsibility, and we need to be grateful for the opportunities that we have been given. He starts, he says, let's be talking about the government. Then he moves to a very unfair, unjust situation, and that is in the area of slavery. He says in verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to do the good and gentle, but also to the unjust, for this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. And Peter's intention here is not to address the wrongness of slavery. His intention here, which it is wrong, period. His intention is, if you find yourself in something as wrong as this, how do you respond? And he says, you make sure that even though it's not uh, not fair... You show respect, you work hard, you bear up underneath it, and you do it in such a way that when they find out that you know Jesus, their life is impacted. And so I just want you to hear that even in unfair situations, like we read about earlier this summer when we talked about Joseph being cast into prison, that very often God uses those moments of oppression to bring about something bigger and more important. And then he talks about the home. And when he gets to talking about the home, he talks to wives, and he talks to husbands. And you know, every time you talk about husband and wife relationships, it can get a little dicey. Because a lot of us in this room are married. And in the next few moments, you're either going to say, see, or you're going to have it said to you. So I'm going to be very careful here, but clear. He starts with wives, he says, likewise, wives, be subject, in verse 1 of chapter 3, be subject to your own husbands, and that word subject is actually the word submission. Be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And what he's talking to them about is this. Listen, inside your marriage, I want you to live in a way that your husband is not offended by the gospel because of your attitude. I want you to live in such a way that if your husband is not a believer, that because of your heart, because of the way that you conduct yourselves, he is attracted to the gospel. And I'm always kind of mindful whenever I come to this passage of how many people I knew as I pastored, both men and women, but a lot of times it was women that I saw bringing their children to church and somewhat disturbed that their spouse did not come with them and they would ask me a question pastor what should I do and I would always say something like this love them well and let them know when you leave that you're going to miss them while you're gone but you're looking forward to coming home to them you mean pastor I don't need to invite them I said it's implied you mean I don't need to encourage them? I said, that's code for nagging. And they've read the code. <laughs> so just love on them. And you let God work on their heart, and He will. And I can't tell you how many times I saw people come to Christ because a godly lo- wife loved their mate well. And you know what? I'm guessing there's some of you sitting in this room because your mate loved you well and you finally said, I don't know what God's doing in that girl's life, but i got to show up and see. So he says to him, I want you to be careful of that, but it's interesting when he talks about husbands in verse 7, when he uses the word likewise, he's talking about what I just said to the wife. I'm talking to you people. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the women as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may be not hindered. And I want you to hear something very clearly. This this phrase, the weaker vessel, is probably translated better as the more tender vessel. This isn't talking about tensile strength. This isn't about the fact that, well, he's a strong guy and she's a weakling. That's that's not what this is about. It's talking about framework. It's talking about orientation. It's talking about heart. And the the simple truth would be like this. When it comes to relationships, I would like to confess that most of us men are obtuse. We are not always the clearest on what things mean. You see, ladies, sometimes you think you said something so clearly, and we're going, what? (laughs) And I have always been impressed whenever I have been able to to be with my wife, and we have visited with other couples, especially when I was pastoring. And as I would come out of that meeting and say, I think that went really well. And my wife would go, well, almost, almost. And I'm like, what? She goes, well, did you notice? Did you see? And I'm like, what? I mean, because, you know, I'm just like, we had a good meeting. Let's go. And she's like, well, did you see, you know, the, the, the demeanor? Did you notice the shift in the room? And I can tell you how many times she has kept me safe and kept me from doing something foolish. Guys are not always wired to be the smartest You don't have to confess, brother. It's okay. Uh, But but I'm just telling you, we need each other. We do. And the Bible talks about mutual submission, not a dominance. Now, what are some qualities that endure in relationships? Look at verse 8 of chapter 3. Finally, All of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Don't repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. And I want you to think about being in a relationship with somebody that in their heart you could tell that they were harmonious. They wanted to walk in harmony with other people. They were sympathetic that when you were talking about your hurts and you were talking about the things that concerned you, you could tell they engaged with me, they listened to me. Or someone that was quick to be loving to you, was compassionate and understanding that this was somebody that was humble in their outlook and the way that they carried themselves and they weren't vindictive they didn't keep a record of wrong so that whenever you stumble they didn't say well just like last time now I want to ask you a question when you think of somebody that's harmonious, sympathetic, loving compassionate, humble and not vindictive did I just describe to you somebody that you like to be a friend with would be for me now I've got a different question is this the list that your friends would give for you Am I the kind of friend to others? Am I the kind of person in my family? Am I the brother or sister in my church family that this would be the list that people would speak of in my life? That's what God has called us to. That's what God wants us to have. But you know there's a key to this a little bit, and I want to talk to you about it because for some of you, You haven't been with me since I used that four-letter word, submission. Because for you, the word submission meant oppression. Because perhaps you've been in a relationship or you've seen a relationship where people were destroyed because others made demands on them in such a way and called it submission when actually the Bible would have called it oppression. Oppression. In the 1970s, when I was uh, but a lad, as we got finished with church, after we had our fellowships on Sunday nights, I loved coming home and turning on PBS. It was not because I was attracted to the educational uh, channel necessarily, but it was because there were some programs I really enjoyed that came out of the UK. One of those was a dog trainer by the name of Barbara Woodhouse. Now, Barbara was a fascinating person to me because she understood authority in a very interesting fashion. And so what she did is Barbara could train any dog and she would demonstrate rowdy dogs being trained using this. It's called a choke collar. And so she would take it and she would put it around a dog and neck and then she would tell it to sit. And if it didn't, then it would, because when you can't breathe, you sit. But she had this little phrase when she wanted the dog to walk, she would take it and she would, and she'd go, "wookies" and here we go walking. And of course we would be walking, why? Because you want to breathe. This is not the right understanding of submission. Matter of fact, I've asked for a little help to just demonstrate this a little bit. Shirley, come on up here. This is Shirley Jensen. She is the chair lady of the Pastor Search Committee, and she's agreed to help me not even knowing what was happening. That is trust, and you won't do that again, will you? Okay. Can I borrow your hand for just a minute? Now, i just got to ask you a question, church family. Is there anything about this that looks right? (laughs) Now, what if I wanted Shirley to follow me, and so I just jerked it a little bit? Do you see what I'm saying? What What if I just said, you know, Shirley, I'm not real sure that you're doing what I think you ought to do, and I say, can you imagine that? But I'm going to tell you what. We do this with our words. We can do this with our attitudes. And that's not what God wants for us. Would y'all think, Shirley? Matter of fact, I will tell you, that's not what God wants to do with you either. Once in a while, I'll hear somebody say something like this. God really had to jerk my chain. I want you to hear that's not what God wants. It says in Psalm thirty-two nine, "Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you." He says, "Listen, I want you to be responsive to me." Matter of fact, the picture that God gives is the picture of a horse and a rider that knows each other so well that it's not the pull of the reins, it is the pressure the horse feels. It is the sense the horse has when a horse really knows its rider and vice versa, where it almost anticipates where the rider is trying to go just by the gentle shift of their body or the pressure inside their leg, they can feel it, and they know that's where we ought to go. And that's what God wants for your relationship to be like with him is that when he moves, you move. Where he goes, you go. And they just not have to ever jerk your chain, but simply he is able to say, follow me. That's the heart God wants for us. And so the the, the right understanding of submission is much closer to, uh, wh- well, let me show you a picture. Maybe you know some of these folks. This is Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Okay. The other is some folks from Dancing with the Stars. I didn't even know this. You know that Dancing with the Stars has been on for 18 years? 32 seasons. I thought this was, you know, I mean, I knew it had started, but I really thought it was off television. Obviously, I need to watch more stuff. But what I want you to think about is if it's actually a dance, it is movement together, not apart. My mom and dad, they loved to dance. Now, they were Baptist. Okay. They drank Shirley Temples. They didn't go to movies on Sunday until they'd been married a long time. But they loved to dance. And my mother would talk about how good a leader my dad was, how good a partner. And what I remember is this. God wants us to walk with him in such a way that as he moves, we move with him. And that is the biblical understanding of submission is in a husband and wife relationship, there's mutuality of submission. Not domination, not oppression, but we're going together. We're in this together. And yes, sometimes my thought might be the thought we go with, and sometimes your thought's the thought we're going to go with, but that's based upon a relational trust that has been built over time and which I know that even if you're making a mistake, it's from a pure heart. So let's go forward. Let's go forward. So how do we keep relationships healthy? Well, there's a couple of things. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and the ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And the very first thing he says about relational is this, watch your tongue. Does anybody besides me struggle with that a little bit? Have you ever had a thought in your brain that sounded so good until it was released? And then you're like, how do I get that back? In the book of James, it says this to us, James 1.26, If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. If you can't control it, you're just deceiving yourself. Matter of fact, later on, James says that while the tongue is the smallest member, it is like the rudder on a mighty ship that can steer it in the course that it should go. So much destruction can happen with a word that is spoken that just lands into a heart that is so tender, it finds its home. It stays. There are some of you that I'm talking to right now, there was somebody important in your life that said a word that you've not been able to shake. Somebody said a word to you, said a sentence to you. They said something like, I don't know why you're singing, you can't sing. Somebody looked at you and said something like, is there anybody in your family that's smart? And those are the nice things I can repeat. I'm not saying those were said to me. Uh, Probably should have been, but the point is, there are there is words that can be spoken, and sometimes they're spoken by the ones that are supposed to protect us, not hurt us. And some of us have spent our lives trying to get past the declarations of others. I want to remind you of something that we started with. God looks at you and he says, I chose you. God looks at you and says, I sent my son to die for you. God looks at you, and remember what I said earlier in in, uh, 1 Peter 2, you are my precious possession. I treasure you. Don't let the words of the enemy be louder than the words of God. Watch your tongue. What else? Watch your ways. Watch your ways. It says that be careful about how you walk. In Proverbs 16, 2, it says, All a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. What are our motives? See, sometimes I have to be careful that what I do next, or what I think, or what I suggest is motivated by things that I prefer. Versus what God really wants to do. Have you ever done that? Have you ever, have you ever found yourself where you realized your motives weren't pure? Well, the Bible says that we're to walk with each other with pure motives. That I'm to walk with you and you're to walk with me. And we're to walk with each other in a way in which I don't have to wonder what your motivation is behind a choice that you make. Or encouragement that you give. Or the words that you speak. Have you ever had somebody in your life that whenever they were being complimentary, you knew it was going to cost you something? It's like they never showed up unless they wanted to borrow money or take your time. Watch your motivations. Be pure before the Lord. And only that, we need to be mindful that the choices we make make a difference. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 11, it says, even a child makes himself known by his acts, by whether his conduct is pure and right. And then let me just say this about our motives. In Philippians 2, 3, and 4, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And he says, As you walk together, may it be that whenever you're making choices and decisions, you don't start with your preference, but you start with what would be best for the church? What would be best for you? What do you need? And how can we walk together in that way? You know, relationships are somewhat a fragile thing. They're a blessing when they're healthy. They're a wonder when they work well. But when they get a little dicey, it can get really tender, can it? And as we go into Thanksgiving and the Christmas season, I'm kind of guessing that there's some of you that might be thinking about people you have to see again. Not get to see, have to see. Well, it's our turn to host Uncle Billy, or whatever it is. But the reality is, is that God wants you to walk in a healthy way. We need to have the right heart. You know, last week, I appreciated so much, you prayed for Pastor Gary Bragg. There's a uh, slide that's coming up. That is from the Basilica there in Lewiston. And this is from the Basilica of Saints Peter and Paul. This is a Catholic Basilica that holds 2,000 people. And last week when you prayed for Pastor Gary, he and about 10 other people spoke. There was 2,000 people inside that auditorium. There was another 1,000 outside. And I appreciated so much what he had to say because one of the things he said was this. I am so glad to see you tonight. Because you can imagine if you're in a small town and that kind of shooting takes place, you don't know exactly all that's going on. You don't know if it's your family, your friends, or what is happening. And he just made that comment. He says, you know, it's just so good to see you. But then a little bit later on, he asked them a question, asked or suggested to them a question that they should ask as they go through their week. I think it's just a great question. He says, as you go through your day the coming week, as you go to work, as you go wherever you're going to go, and as you talk with people, let them know it is good to see you today. And then ask them this question: How can I help? How can I help? And I wonder what would happen in our own lives, is that as we walk through the rest of this day, and we walk through our Monday, and our Tuesday, and our Wednesday, and our Thursday, and our Friday, and our Saturday, if our first thought when we dealt with someone was, how can I help? When that service was over, he and his wife were driving home, and they came to the convenience store to get gas. And as he went in, the clerk was standing outside and she was talking on the phone. And as she was talking, Gary's wife was sitting in the car and she looked and she realized that when the phone call was over, the woman had begun to cry. She, walked, she thought about what her, pa- her husband, pastor, had said and she thought, I need to ask her. So she walked out to her and looked at her and said, how can I help? And the woman looked at her and said, well, two of the people that perished were my mother and father-in-law. And they have children, and I've just been so focused on how to take care of them. I just not had any time to myself yet to even begin to grieve. And she realized that she was having this conversation with her that not only had God put her in a holy moment, but she realized that she needed to be available to talk to this woman's children or mother and father-in-law's children because she said, when I was a teenager, I lost my mother and father. See, we're back to that 2 Corinthians 1, where the comfort that we have received, we have received not just into ourselves, but so that we in turn can comfort those who need to be comforted. And so I'm looking at you today and I'm asking you, how are you doing? How are your relationships? How's your relationship with Jesus? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Because that's where everything starts, it's that first step. And if you don't know Jesus, I would love so much to get to talk to you about him. And whether that's during the invitation time or whether that's after the service, I'll be out here. And we have other folks that would love to visit with you as well. But I'm also wanted to ask this how are your relationships? amongst each other, with your family? Is there a relationship that you need prayer for? Is there a relationship that you need to initiate a conversation to bring healing? Did you think about that list of someone that is loving and encouraging and and is long-suffering, and you began to look at that and say, that's the kind of person I'm supposed to be. And I need to go to fill in the blank, and I need to let them know, I've not been that person for you. And I'm sorry. If you'll give me the opportunity, i want to move forward and be that kind of person in your life. Whatever God has spoken in your heart, in just a few moments, we're going to pray. Then after the prayer, we're going to stand together. Deacon families will be available to pray with you, both here as well as the auditorium. But we want you to experience the best God has for you. And we'd appreciate it if you would trust us enough let us help let's pray father in jesus name we thank you for this day we thank you lord for the way that you take relationships and you use them to impact and shape us and father god there are broken relationships that you want to heal and we're going to need your strength to do it god because without your intervention we're not sure how it could happen father there's some here today that They've never said yes to Jesus. They've not entered into that eternal relationship. And I pray today that they would say yes to him. But God, whatever you've spoken to our hearts, may we say yes and move forward with you. For we pray in the holy and precious name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.